and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Welcome again to another edition of IRI's Growth Insights, featuring some of the leaders in CPG. My name is Larry Levin. I'm Executive Vice President of the Consumer and Shopper Division and also a periodic host of our Growth Insights seminars. So uh, it's a pleasure uh, to welcome a dear friend of mine, uh, a colleague, Dan Sadler. Dan has been with IRI for quite a long time. We'll let him tell you a little bit about himself, but he is really a recognized authority in all things about confections. And I'm proud to work side by side with Dan for upwards of 10 years now. So Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Larry. Uh, thanks for the intro. And likewise, I, I, I've enjoyed working with you for 10 plus, which is almost maybe uh, out of my 27 years, uh, about a third of my time I've worked with you. So, <laughs> Well, that's great. So Dan, you, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, about your time. I know you're, you're based in Chicago. You are uh, disrespectfully a fan of the Chicago Cubs, I believe. Uh, right now, I am not a fan of any baseball team. We're on an 11-game losing streak, so um, I know you had to dig that in there. But yes, I typically am a Cubs fan, more of a Bears fan. Okay, well, that's good. That's a good side about you. Um, Dan, obviously, we've gotten to know each other a lot through much of the work we've done together, particularly in the confections industry. Talk a little bit about how you got going into in confections and um, a little bit about your passion for candy as a consumer. You know, so, so I've actually worked, you know, um, with, within the confection space. You know, I've managed a number of our partnerships with a number of our confection clients for probably the last, you know, 10 years or so since, since we've actually worked together. I've, I've managed a number of our um, consortiums we have, you know, with IRI and some of our, our candy consortiums. Uh, and really kind of the last five years of my um, career here at IRI has really been fo focused on, you know, candy. I mean, every, you know, I kind of manage the, the candy vertical. And, you know, one of the things, you know, one of the many things I, I do love about, you know, candy confections is, you know, the nostalgia, the memories. And, um, you know, before the show, I actually, you know, I was on vacation with, with my my parents and see them in a while. And they always bring up the story. Um you know, when I was younger, we, we would, you know, after church on Sundays, we go to my grandparents' house and, um, you know, I get ready to go watch a Bears game. I'd sit in the couch and my grandma always had a jar full, a bit of honey. Candy. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that candy. I, I, I'm old I remember I would honey, Dan. pretty, pretty religiously, I would gobble up almost that whole bowl during the, you know, that Sunday, you know, um, during that Sunday afternoon. And my grandmother very rarely, if ever, scolded me. But the one time she did was when I left wrappers all over the dining room table. Again, I was like seven or eight years old, so I didn't really know better. But since then, I, I've never left a wrapper anywhere but in the garbage. So, fantastic. Well, good job by uh, by your grandmother to uh, kind of instill that that passion for confections in uh, in uh, your lifestyle and, and particularly in your in your work because you definitely are an important contributor to the work that Sally Lyons, Wyatt, and I do in, in this area, as well as you, and I'm really proud of what you've been able to do. 
So Dan, talk a little bit about Confection's performance in the pandemic year. I know, you know, lots of categories really rebounded beautifully. How did, how did Confections do and what do you see as some bright spots in the industry for Confections? So, so yeah, you know, during, you know, the pandemic, when we look kind of that 52 weeks ending, you know, in, in May, you know, we saw, you know, 5% growth and, and a lot of that, you know, really was driven by e-commerce. So, you know, brick and mortar was up about 1%, you know, e-commerce was up over 55% and drove 80% of Confections growth. So really, and that was really kind of a theme that, that we saw during, you know, my discussion at Sweets and Snacks was really kind of that, that growth of e-commerce, how it really kind of saved um, the seasons and really kind of really helped generate, you know, a lot of interest in candy, keep the interest going. Um, you know, so yeah, there was, there was, you know, um, you know, by and large, though, I would say, you know, confections overall, I mean, yeah, there were certainly areas where we saw some, some um, softness, you know, convenience obviously took, took a bit of a hit uh, for a couple months during the pandemic with, with, with um, less mobility going on. Uh, also, you know, obviously gum and mint sales, you know, definitely softened during um, that pandemic phase. But, you know, over the last 12 weeks, government sales are, are on the rebound. They're up versus um, where they were a year ago. So there is some some hope there as well. And convenience has been certainly rebounded, you know, in the last eight months. So it's interesting you talk about government stand because I've heard people say that government sales were down because we were behind the mask. And people were maybe a little less concerned about breath freshening. I don't, I don't know what your take is on that, but I love your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that I, I've heard the same and, you know, personal experience. I mean, I, I take the train. I used, well, I, I haven't taken the train downtown to the office in a while, but um, when I did, I mean, I used to, you know, I always had, you know, pack of gum in my briefcase or mints and I, <laughs> I don't do that as often anymore for sure. So I, I think some of that lesson travel kind of, um, definitely hurt some of that, but also now, you know, we're seeing offices open up. So again, that could, you know, some of the reason why we're seeing kind of that rebound with our governments as well. Right. And you talked before about confections being up, I think you said 5% year on year. Correct. How does that compare with a typical 52 week period that you would be tracking for confections? Yeah. You know, um, you know, certainly the brick and mortar was, was a little bit softer than than what we typically see. You know, I, I you know, we, we've done a lot of the state of industries at, at NCA and typically we're always going to see, you know, you know, two to three percent growth on a typical, um, you know, when we look at kind of Mulo plus C. So, so a little bit softer there. But again, you know, e-commerce, we haven't seen this kind of growth within confections and e-commerce in a long time. So while some of that brick and mortar was soft, it went to e-commerce. So overall, I would say, you know, the industry probably trended up a little bit more than than what we would have seen in the past. Right. So when you talk about e-commerce and you talked about the stellar performance that it had to help drive category growth, I think you said it was about 80% of the growth in this in the confections industry last year was driven by e-commerce. How does that compare to the rest of CPG and what kind of opportunities do you see ahead for the confections industry based on the ability to win the consumer via e-commerce. Yeah. So, so when I kind of look at that growth rate, you know, again, I referenced that 55% or so of growth, um, you know, it's right online with, with food and beverage. I mean, maybe a couple points off that, but um, the one thing, you know, um, that I, I thought was really interesting when, when we kind of looked at, at, at um, kind of the e-commerce within candy a little bit, a little bit more closer is when you look at, you know, top five brick and mortar categories across e-commerce, um, brick and mortar, then compare that to e-commerce. 
There's only two categories that are in the top five in both brick and mortar and e-commerce, and that's candy and salty snacks. So while, you know, growth rates, you know, are, you know, maybe a little bit softer than some of the other food and beverage categories, one thing that is very common is it doesn't matter what avenue, you know, candy is going to be bought, whether it's brick and mortar, e-commerce, and you'll see, I mean, you know, some of the top brick and mortar categories weren't even in the top five in e-commerce and and vice versa. So uh, I thought that was very, that was a very powerful statement to know that, you know, confections is you know, a major player, no matter the platform, whether online or brick and mortar. And would you say that Confections was more likely to benefit from a click and collect environment or an order and deliver at home? Um, certainly, you know, where we saw a lot of, you know, roughly 50% of um, candy online sales come from Amazon. You know, that that's kind of the, the you know, that, that's just kind of where you're seeing a, a majority of the sales, you know, about the other, you know, 40 little 40% or so come from kind of that click and collect the Instacart delivery uh, mechanisms. And then the other 10%, you know, confections, I'll see, you know, you'll see some of those other online retailers, like whether it's gifting stuff like that. So, you know, you, you talk a lot about the success of e-commerce and our friend, Sam Gallardi, who runs e-commerce for IRI talks about that long tail. Can you talk a little bit about the competitive environment in brick and mortar versus online? Yeah, that's, um, you know, again, something that's near and dear to our hearts, you know, Larry, when, when at Sweets and Snacks, when, when we, we we do our presentation for, for the industry, I mean, one of the things we talk about is, you know, really how within brick and mortar, you know, the top five manufacturers really control, you know, that brick and mortar, you know, three quarters of sales for brick and mortar go through the top five um, manufacturers within confections. Um, within e-commerce, it's a very different, it's more fragmented. You're seeing that um, you know, roughly 40% of the volume goes through our top five and the other 60% or so goes through kind of our smaller mid-tier players. So a very, very different, different um, assortment, you know, different set of players, you know, when you look at brick and mortar versus e-com. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it talks a lot about the impact of online research and discovery and what consumers are able to do to find products that are really compelling and fit a need, whether it's from a big company or a small company. And so it's fascinating to see the amount of small players that are capturing share online. And you you just have to wonder at what point they have the muscle then to go brick and mortar, or do they decide it's actually more profitable to be direct to consumer online? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, it's some of these companies have, have used online to kind of break into that, you know, that brick and mortar, um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's certainly, you know, there's uh, advantages to kind of being that, you know, the bigger fish in, in, in that smaller pond on the e-commerce side. So, Right. And are there any particular manufacturers that have kind of caught your eye online that you don't see in brick and mortar? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of small guys, but, but I mean, I, I think some of the up and coming, you know, you've seen a lot about, you know, smarts, um, smart suites, you know, that's a big, you know, you know, um, healthier, you know, kind of, uh, um, brand that, uh, does very well, both, you know, especially online, you know, it's one, you know, brand that kind of pops up, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's so fragmented, Larry, that, I mean, you'll, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different brands in there that, um, you know, you just, you know, you have to, you know, kind of do research to see who they are and what, what they're doing. So what kind of what their statements are. You know, one of, one of the things that has created a little bit of angst or ajuda, as we say in, in Yiddish, 
among the confections industry is the impact of, uh, of, of the front end and impulse purchasing, because obviously that drives a lot of confections. What are you seeing in terms of brick and mortar front end purchasing and how has e-commerce helped replace that? What do you see a lot also happening online that's sort of enticing people as they're checking out on anything they're buying online? Remind them to put confections in the box. Certainly front end opportunities are big time opportunities in brick and mortar. We need to extend that into e-commerce as well. Yeah, you know, that that's actually uh, a good point. So one of the, the, the um, big opportunities we saw, Larry, is, um, you know, through the pandemic, I mean, you know, candy share through e-commerce grew to 11%. So 11% of candy sales go through e-commerce, which is over four points of growth, which actually, you know, pre-pandemic, it was a little bit lower than the food and beverage share. Now it was higher. And what, we're, what we saw as we kind of looked at it a little bit further is, um you know, like you said, you know, with, with um, you know, front end, you know, more self-checkout, you know, kind of being a little bit more strapped, um, certainly the click and collect delivery method could be a very good way to kind of substitute, you know, the, that front end sale. And what we really saw is that, you know, um, when we look at the, the click and collect um, share, we're far behind, confection, we're far behind brick um, food and beverage by like over one, one, one point uh, share change, which is really big. And it wound up, we saw it being at roughly a $380 million opportunity. So if we can kind of get that one share point within click and collect, very big opportunity that we talked about. And again, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, National Candy Month was was this past June. I mean, great, you know, there's a lot of great ways to really kind of advertise that online, you know, how to kind of in- increase that purchase. Also, it's, I just read it, Berry Month, a lot of non-chocolate, you know, new, I saw a lot of innovations around mixed berries, stuff like that. So certainly another way to kind of, you know, advertise and kind of generate that, you know, online interest, especially through that click and collect um, mode of of delivery as well. Well, that's great. Let's uh, turn our attention to one of the most important areas that the confections industry measures, and that's the impact of holidays. And, you know, you and I have have worked together a lot to understand the impact of confessions around Valentine's, Easter, Halloween, Christmas, Hanukkah time. Talk a little bit about the holiday seasons and the impact that online had in maybe helping each of those holidays be above sea level? Yes. So really, you know, when we kind of looked at, you know, all the holidays, um, certainly in 2020, you know, Easter, Halloween, you know, the, the, you know, the holiday time for period, you know, even Valentine's this year, we saw that, um, you know, brick and mortar was definitely, you know, softer. Some cases it was down for the seasons or very flat, and really, e-commerce made the holiday. I mean, we saw eighty plus percent growth uh, e-commerce for 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 the holidays. But what also was very important too is, you know, the, the amount of consumers purchasing online during those Halloween or you know you know like the Halloween or any of those holiday timeframes. Uh, we were seeing over you know between two and three million more households purchasing online during those eight week holiday frames, which that that's huge. What also was um, I thought was very important was the exclusivity. So when we kind of looked at the holidays, nearly a third of those consumers, those two million consumers, were exclusive to just purchasing candy during that holiday time period. So I, I think Christmas was was you know we saw that thirty four percent of the households were exclusive to buying just candy during Christmas. I mean, one that shouts that you know what we're seeing more consumers you know um, enter the holidays. We need to make sure that we 
we, we, we gain their attention, build awareness, but also, I mean, what a great way to, you know, how do you get that one additional purchase sometime after the holiday? So, I mean, another great opportunity, uh, but yeah, I, I can't underscore the importance of the ho- um, e-commerce on the holidays. I mean, just really kind of save the seasons. Now, as we kind of, you know, look at the last holiday, uh, Easter, um, you know, Easter actually um, brick and mortar outperformed online, which um, was, you know, I, I guess it really wasn't necessarily surprising just because more consumers were getting out. So we're seeing, you know, kind of, you know, a little bit more brick and mortar sales, you know, vaccines. I know we, we've talked about this, Larry. I mean, vaccines have, have increased dramatically between February to the Easter time period. So I'm sure that kind of built some of the consumer confidence. So, um, so I, I think going forward, so e-commerce is still going to be very important during the holidays. It might not, you know, we might see more of, you know, e-commerce and, and brick and mortar being more in the black, you know, both, you know, we're seeing, instead of seeing, you know, e-commerce pick up, you know, uh, the total industry, it might just kind of, they, they level each other out. So, um, so I think it's all a very good story. You know, you, you made me think about a, uh, another tagline from the sixties, try it, you like it. And I think a lot of people tried e-commerce and they truly liked it. And to your yeah. point, I wonder how much momentum will continue because it's all about ease and, and convenience. But you, know, you kind of uh, almost were a great fortune teller as to where I was going next in my line of questioning because I did want to get your perspective on how you thought brick and mortar might rebound in the you know in the Halloween time frame where we're about five weeks away from the beginning of the Halloween season, if we think about Labor Day as the starting point. And do you think that that momentum then will continue that you'd seen around Easter continue to really help brick and mortar rebound? Yeah, you know, I, I certainly think we're going to see, you know, we're, we're not going to see these, you know, flat to negative trends, you know, in brick and mortar for the holidays. You know, I really think we're going to start seeing you know, some, um, you know, consumers coming back to the stores, but like you said, I mean, you know, they're used to buying online. Um, they like it, you know, we're seeing growth there. We're still seeing, you know, every, you know, I've been looking at trends. We're still seeing growth e-commerce, uh, every, every month. So, um, while that, you know, we may not see that 80, 90% growth, like we saw, um, during the pandemic, we're still, I I think going to see e-com growth along with now the brick and mortar growth as well. You know, one of the things that you and I like talking about a lot is water cooler myths. And can you dispel a myth that e-commerce is significantly less expensive than buying in brick and mortar? Um, I can tell you from research we've done based on, you know, retailers where we actually get point of sale um, e-commerce data that, um, you know, brick and mortar is is not necessarily more expensive. It, in, in some cases, especially for chocolate candy, we actually see that uh, online is more expensive than, than than the brick and mortar class of trades. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that is a myth that you know, uh, online is not necessarily less expensive than um, brick and mortar. So, we're very, you know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's very fascinating. So Dan, as we as we think about you know wrapping up our discussion, it's really been phenomenal. As a as a person who consults in the industry on a regular basis, what are three things that you would really recommend to clients in the industry to be thinking about, both from a a manufacturer standpoint and a retailer standpoint, as they win the day in confections, both in a brick and mortar environment and an online environment. Yeah. So, so, you know, one thing, you know, I think that was very important was, you know, we, we talked about it already was kind of narrowing that click and collect gap, 
you know, that share gap. We need to make sure we get more share going through there, a, a big opportunity there. Um, the other thing, you know, I really didn't talk about, but I, I, I think it, it's, it, it, it really speaks to the power of candy is the purchasing power of candy. Um, we know, you know, through the research we've done that um, candy uh, is in a lot of shopping baskets. When candy is in the shopping basket, it brings over a $70 ring, the online ring, which is over 20% higher than the food and beverage average. So you want to talk about a strong purchasing power candy has. I mean, that, that's pretty strong. Um, when it's not in the basket, that basket shrinks by uh, $20. Half of that's from candy. The other half is from incremental purchase they made because they were buying candy. Um, so, you know, I, I think that is something that needs to really be made loud and clear is that candy has a very strong uh, purchasing power. And then I think that that's, that's a phenomenal insight about the, the power of candy being in the basket or in the boxes, you and I like to say, and that's a, that's a great insight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was, um, yeah, it was actually, um, I don't know if it was surprising, but it's certainly to see those numbers and how, how big of an increase it was over the average food and beverage, food and beverage cart, you know, uh, online cart, what was really, um, was really phenomenal. Well, I think it's a great signal to the manufacturers and retailers to really work together to promote confections because they do pay a big dividend. Yes, exactly. Um, and the other thing too, you know, we didn't talk too much, Larry, about generations, but you know, certainly, you know, millennials, um, while they're important, you know, candy is not quite getting their fair share of millennial sales. I, I mean, I, I think twenty-seven percent of populations millennials, twenty-three percent of online confection sales come from millennials. So there's a little bit of a gap there, you know, and, and, and they're, and, and they're important because they are growing like 90% versus year ago. So, um, you know, that's an opportunity, but also uh, we can't forget about where, you know, a, a lot of our sales are coming from, from the boomers and the gen X, um, you know, over two thirds of sales come from, you know, gen X and boomers. And, um, we really over index against boomers. So another myth you want to dispel, I mean, boomers are buying candy online. I mean, mm-hmm. 40% of candy sales, online candy sales come from boomers. That's a, that's a fantastic insight. And as you said, it's something that dispels a water cooler myth and the importance of, uh, of boomers. And Joan Driggs and I, who do a lot of these different pieces together, have seen other instances where boomers are actually more prevalent online than people would think. So I think that it's um, a good opportunity as you as you point out for consumer companies and for retailers to be connecting with baby boomers because uh, they are buying online yeah so Dan uh, I wanted to also point out you I, I see you as a trailblazer and the reason I see you as a trailblazer is you and Sally Lyons Wyatt were two of the first ones to return to the great frontier of industry conventions I know you spoke at Sweets and Snacks Expo two weeks ago. Talk a little bit about the experience and what it was like to get back out to an industry event. Uh, it was it was it was refreshing. Uh, I think everyone was you know happy to uh, see each other. You know, high five, fist bumps, hugs. I mean, everyone I think was excited to see everyone. Um, you know, um, I, I think you know the NCA did a great job too. It was very you know they made everything very very comfortable. Um, you know, I know for, for me, I mean, typically when, you know, events been in Chicago in the past, I know, you know, um, you know, I, I go to a booth, you know, see everyone, but this was, you know, one time where, I mean, I was getting texts throughout the day. Hey, where are you at? Make sure you stop by, you know, just everyone, just everyone. And it wasn't just me. I mean, I'm 
Sally got the same text too. Just everyone wanted to make sure that they caught up, saw you in person. So it was, it was uh, very refreshing. Um, and, and again, I, I think from, from the speaking side of it, I mean, attendance was, you know, we really didn't know, you know, how many people would show up at some of these early morning sessions. I mean, it was very, it was a full house. Um, some of the sessions I spoke at there was, um, you know, it was pretty much max capacity. So, um, I, I think, yeah, I think everyone was ready to go out and be, um, you know, back to business as, as usual. So our friend, John Downs, who runs NCA often talks about candy is a catalyst for bringing people together. And I know oftentimes when we're at the conference, it feels like a family reunion. It seems to me that Confections did a phenomenal job of bringing the CPG industry back together, at least in, in its realm of Confections. And um, I think it must, it must have been fascinating to be part of it. Yeah, it was a great time. And again, great job at the NCA as always. Um, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of questions and, and they, they, um, yeah, everything was, was, was great. They took a new venue and it, you know, it felt like, um, that it not, we didn't miss a beat at all. So. Well, that, that's great, Dan. Well, I want to thank you again for spending a little bit of time on our growth insights for more on IRI growth insights, please check our website and at iriworldwide.com and, uh, hear about our growth insights on that note, Dan, have a great afternoon. Thanks, Larry. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.